So we have this core inside of us as well. We've been talking about we have this deep place, deep in our center, where we can find some really important things. And there in our core, we find core values and core behaviors. And we've been talking about the fact that what we value drives our behavior, right? The core values deep inside of us, the things that are important to us, then end up making us behave and act in certain ways. And so our values drive our behavior. We've been looking at it like this. We value certain things, so we behave in certain ways. And so uh, I've been trying to just illustrate this in real life. And um, I guess the way I'll do that today is talk about the fact that sometimes you guys ever value a day off? You ever just wake up and you're like, no, not today. Not happening, right? And you ever call in, you call your boss and you give an excuse. Well, Career Builder came out with their 2014 most unbelievable excuses that bosses got from people calling in, people who value a day off. Um, one of them said, um, I can't come in today. I just put a casserole in the oven. So I don't, I don't know how that works. Um, one employee woke up, he said, I woke up in a great mood and I don't want to ruin it. And so that was his excuse for not going in. And these are actual excuses people called in. One employee got stuck in a blood pressure machine at a grocery store and said he couldn't get out. So that's interesting. I'm guessing his blood pressure continued to rise. Um, one employee caught, uh, caught their uniform on fire by putting it in a microwave to dry. That was another excuse. And this one just seems the most incredible to me. This is awesome. I, I probably would have been dumb enough to use this excuse. One employee actually called in and said to his boss, I accidentally got on a plane. <laughs> How do you accidentally get on a plane? Are you kidding me? I was just out walking the dog. Next thing I know, I'm eating peanuts strapped to a chair going 400 miles an hour through the air, right? I mean, how does that even happen, right? But here are some people who valued certain things so they behaved in certain ways. And I'm sure there was a day you woke up and you said, I need a day off. I value my life values and depends on a day off. And so it drove you to behave in one way or another. And the same is true with us in life. Values deep inside of us drive us to behave in certain ways. And the same is true of our church. Our church values certain things, so we behave in certain ways. And so our staff sat down about a year ago, as I've been telling you guys for the last several weeks, and we said, all right, what do we want to value then? If our values drive our behaviors, then we got to be intentional about what we value. So what do we value? What do we want to value? What should we be aiming at as our values? So then our behaviors follow suit. And so we came up with these nine different things, and we've worked through eight of them already, and we're going to finish up on the last one today and close up on our series. But we just think this is so important because we know that if our values drive our behaviors, then we want to make sure we're valuing the right things because we've been looking at this thought the whole time, this whole series, that the right values lead to the right behaviors, which ultimately lead to what? The right roads, right? The right roads in life. And so if you and I want to go on the right roads, the right paths in life, It starts not with just our behavior, but with what we value. That's why this is so incredibly important. And the thing I've been stressing all along is that our behaviors never save us. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you're coming here today thinking it's all about being a good person, well, here's the deal. Jesus died for us. Pastor led us through communion today, celebrating that. Our team, we sang about that all morning so far with you here today, right? And so the idea is Jesus came to die for people who could never save themselves, whose behavior would never be good enough and never be right enough, and he saved us. And then because of that, we look at him and we go, man, God, thank you for doing that. I love you. And now I want to respond in a way that honors you. I want to do the right things now, not because it saves me, it doesn't save me, but because I love you and I'm amazed by what you've done. And when we respond in that way, God blesses us. And so we want to be on blessable paths and blessable roads. And we want you and our church to be on blessable paths and blessable roads. And so that's why this is so important. And so here's what we've talked about so far. I'll just kind of, as this is the last day, I'll wrap these up, um, let you 
you know, just being reminded about what we've talked about so far, but we talked about Christ-centeredness. Always going to be the most important thing around here is Jesus. Always, it's him and him first. Second is the Holy Spirit's leading in power. We believe that God wants to do great things. We talked about the balance of that. It doesn't have to get all weird and crazy and wild, but man, the Holy Spirit's alive and he wants to do some supernatural things in our lives. We talked about genuine community. Since that time, so many of you have jumped into community groups, and it's so exciting. And we're hearing amazing stories as a result of these community groups. And so we're just blown away by that. Um, Discipleship, we talked about being just genuine, being a real follower of Jesus in a world that so desperately needs to see it. We talked about excellent environments, how we strive for them here, but how you should strive for them wherever you go. Because when we do this, we're ultimately doing these things for God and not just for us or for people. We talked about focused programming, how here at the church we, we try to make sure we keep things narrow and focused on the main things so we can do them with excellence and how important that is for your lives as well, that you, you don't try to do a billion things, but do the things God gifted you to do and are passionate about. We talked about last week two things. We talked about this partnership of this insider-outsider focus, that we as a church, every time the doors are open, we don't want to just be focused on insiders. We don't want to just be focused on outsiders. We think our services every Sunday should impact you as a follower of Jesus, and it should be the place you can't wait to invite your unsafe friends. And we think that's really important. So then we talked about how, man, we need you going out there and being relational and evangelizing and telling people either, hey, I've come and I want to go and be this great witness in your life, or hey, would you come and see what God's doing at our church? And so that's where we've been. I see you didn't have to come to church the last eight weeks. I just hit it all there for you, so you guys will know that now. Just come on the last day of a series. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. But, but uh, today we will, wow, no one laughs, so that means you are like, wow, that was a great idea. All right. So um, we're going to talk today about our last core value, and uh, this is really important to us. And um, again, it, it might seem like a little bit unrealistic, but I just want you to see how realistic, and, and, and man, I really drive home the point that, that, man, God really wants this for us. Like what we're going to talk about today, God really, really wants for us. He wants us to live this out, and so I'm going to you know, challenge you today, man. This is going to be a challenging one, but man, if we could just grab this, I'm telling you, I think so much could change. So our ninth core value is this. We value life-giving conversations, life-giving conversations, and that's our value, so how do we behave because of it? We behave like this. We train our staff, our volunteers, and our members to only build each other up. To only build each other up. Okay, you might be going, oh, come on, who does this? Who lives this way? I'll tell you who does this and who lives this way. The church you want to belong to, right? You want a church that lives like this, right? Who, who do you wish did this? You wish your parents did this as you were growing up, don't you? That they only built you up? That they were life givers with the way that they spoke to you and treated you, right? This is the marriage you want to be in. This is the volunteer team you want to be on here at the church. This is the team leader you want to have here at the church. This is the community group you want to be in. Is with a bunch of other people who give life with what they, what they say, with their words, all right? Now we're going to talk about the importance of this. You know, I, I know every time I sort of intro this idea on stage, you know, I feel like some people are like, oh, come on, it's like a little fourth and fifth grade problem, you know? Like, come on, kids, say nice things. You don't have something nice to say. Don't say anything nice at all. But man, I'm just telling you, I think it could transform your marriage. I think it could transform your relationship with your children. It could transform your work environment. It could transform our church. And so this is so powerful. About 15 months ago, if you were around at Collision, we did a four-week series called Life Giver, and we talked about this idea. And today's message, we're going to take it in a different direction. I didn't just plug in old stuff here, but um, we based our series on this verse in Proverbs 18, verse 21. The tongue has the power of life and death, right? Tongue has the power of life and death. Now, obviously, 
the writer here, Solomon was not saying, you know what? Well, I guess for him, it had the power of life and death. He could have said, hey, you know, he's like the ruler of all this nation. And so he could have literally said, take that man's life and it would have been over. But that's not what he was saying here. He was saying our words, the things we speak, have the power not to physically take life or, or give life or take it. But man, I think some of our marriages are dying because of the way that we use our words. I think some of our kids' spirits are crushed because of the way that we use our words. I think kids... You've crushed your parents' spirits in some ways because of the way we use our words. Sometimes our churches can fall apart because of this. Sometimes our work environments are a mess. I, you know, it drives me crazy as a leader. I talk with people all the time who are, are just put down and constantly berated at their workplace. And I just don't get that. I don't understand why it has to be like that. And I don't think it does have to be like that. And so, man, what if we were looking at this today saying, all right, we want to start to be the change. I think, man... In the same way that words can bring death to all those things I just mentioned, words can bring life to your marriage, to your relationships, to your friendships, to our church, to your work environment. The brother of Jesus, James, he said the tongue is a fire that sets the whole course of one's life on fire. Just this little tongue, this little, this little thing God placed in us here can set the whole course of our life on fire. And some of you might say today, yeah, you know, my marriage has been set on fire and I'm not saying that you have burning love for one another. I'm saying it's been set on fire like it's in trouble because of our tongue, the way we speak. You know, some of us, our relationship with our kids, it's been, it's been set on fire. Our work environment, you know, we had a close friendship at the church and it got set on fire just with these words, with the, the way that we used our mouth. And so here's what I want to really challenge you with, okay? I got to get it super intense for a second. Because I think over the years as I've talked about this topic, I think this is probably one of those messages. It's, it's, I, would, I would put it up there like maybe number one or number two type of message that people listen to and they nod their head at and they say amen, but they don't look at their own heart. This is one of those top ones, man. I mean, sometimes you feel it and you feel like the room is going, oh, wow, God's, wow, God's really showing me my own heart. I feel like when we listen to this type of message, we often think about other people's hearts. We think about the people that wronged us. We think about the people that hurt us. We think about the people that you have used their mouth to bring death to us. And I'm just pleading with you today, don't do that. You know, some of you guys are already thinking, all right, I'm going to download a copy of this, I'm going to burn it onto a disc, and I'm going to shove it in my neighbor's mailbox without him knowing, okay? Please don't do that. Think about your own heart today. Because here's what I think happens. I think so often we kind of have these really high... Uh, opinions about how we want to be talked to and treated, but we're pretty loose when it comes to the way that we talk to and treat others. Isn't that true? Right? I mean, I think we all know the way we want to be talked to. Um, I'll just give you some examples. I think how we talk to people, um, both with the words we use and the attitude and the volume at which things are said, we kind of know how we want to be treated. But it's so, it's so different, isn't it, to, to treat people the way we want to be treated when it comes to this. So just think about your words for a second. Some of us in the room, we can stay calm and we don't freak out. We're not screamers or yellers or any of that stuff. But it's the words we choose that are daggers. You know, we stay calm. We're not going to get emotional. But it's just that the, we decide, we find that perfect word that goes in for the kill. Some of us, we would never say those words. We would never curse. We would never swear at somebody. We would never say hate or divorce or any of those things. But the way in which we say them, the, the volume at which we say them, the attitude with which we say them is, is another kind of dagger, isn't it, right? 
And this is the old, I'm not angry. Right? You tell that vein popping out of your forehead that you're not angry right now, right? I'm thinking you're angry, okay? Um, another one is, is gossip, right? I mean, this is such a big deal. I mean, none of us would ever want to be gossiped about. Right? None, none of us would ever want to be the person that other, two other people are sitting and talking about. But we're, we're so loose with this, I think. And it's a struggle. And I, I just think, you know, and I, I don't know that I ever say this from the stage, but I think that this might be one message that applies to 100% of us in the room today, that all of us could grow in this area. Um, I think we have these little things we like to set up gossip with that makes us feel better about it, right? You know, we start something like, look, he's a great guy, but... Like, like she, has, she has such a huge heart, but, and then we go into tearing them apart. So we kind of feel a little better because we said something nice about them, but then the rest of the conversation is, is just ripping somebody apart, a boss, a coworker, someone here at church, and it brings death, right? Another one is, I'm just saying, right? Isn't that a popular one? We rip somebody apart, I, I'm just saying. Oh, you were saying that. I didn't realize you were saying that. Okay, thanks for helping me clear that up, right? I'm just saying. I think what we should do is change that to what it really is. Instead, the next time you and I have a conversation, we're kind of tearing somebody apart. Don't just say, I'm just saying. Say, I'm just gossiping. I'm just gossiping. It's like, you know, have you seen how they handle their kids? I'm just gossiping. You know, like, like see how that goes over, right? So, so think about the way you talk. And think about the way you want to be talked to. Right? Are they different? I mean, I, that hurts me. I mean, I think about my own heart, my own life. Man, do I always talk to others the way I want to be talked to? Do I, do I put this in the practice? See, I know something, guys. This is easier said than done. In fact, this past week, I was a bad example of this. And many of you saw this. Because here's what happened. My, my daughter, Bryn, went to class this week. And her teacher... Uh, rearranged the seats, and some of you guys saw this on Facebook and Twitter, and so she got sat next to this new kid, and this, or, or this other boy she hadn't been sitting next to, and he looked at her when she sat next to him, and she said, and he said, this is my dream come true. This is what he said to Bryn, right? Okay, so I wrote on Facebook what happened there, this whole thing where he says my dream come true, and then I tweeted this. I said, well, I'm your, I'm your worst nightmare, kid, so back it on up, Right? And then, I, so I wrote this, it was all funny, I got all these likes on Facebook and everything, and then I woke up the next morning, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, I'm giving the life giver message on Sunday, and I just publicly threatened an eight-year-old on social media. <laughs> oh my gosh, what have I done, right? And so I totally get, this is easier said than done. If you're not a follower of Jesus, as I said earlier, we're so glad you're here. If you're visiting, you're not sure what you believe, you're incredibly welcome in this place. But you know the pain of this too, don't you? You know that the words bring life and death. You've experienced this. And sometimes, maybe the reason you're not a follower of Jesus is because you've seen the Christians aren't much different. And maybe even some of the words Christians have said have brought death to you. And you've thought, you know what, that's a follower of Jesus. Then I don't know if I can buy this stuff. And so, man, I hope, here's what I'm hoping today for you. First off, to apologize to you. Secondly, to say, hey, we understand as Christians that we need to be different and it's something that we're aiming at. And thirdly, that... I want you to just see, see clearly what Jesus has done for you and his heart for you, all right? And so we're going to look at some verses that Paul wrote to his friends in Ephesus who struggled with this very same thing, okay? So thankfully, we're not alone. Thankfully, this has never happened in, in, in history before. It's not, it's not like this has never happened in history before, but God has given us a roadmap here with what he wrote to the Ephesians here, all right? So we're going to look in Ephesians 4. The first few verses might seem a little confusing. I'll explain them, and then we'll get going, all right? Ephesians 4.22 says this. You were taught with regard to your former way of life. Okay, so he's look, saying to Christians, hey, you used to live a certain way. 
Okay, he says, this is what you were taught, to put off your old self, and I'll explain that in a minute, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and he says this, to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So that seems a little confusing and strange, the old self, new self, what's all that? Here's what Paul's trying to say to his friends in Ephesus, that he knows struggles with this idea of being a life giver and tearing down and all this stuff. He's saying, okay, before you knew Jesus, there was this other version of you, okay? And this other version of you, we can sometimes slip back into that same mentality. We slip back into the old us. But, but when we became followers of Jesus, it's not that he made us these better people. We don't think we're better than other people, any of that kind of stuff. He just gave us this new self, this new heart. He gave us his Holy Spirit inside of us. And when we now live life with the Holy Spirit inside of us, we're able to, by God's grace, act and live in a way that we just couldn't before. We just didn't before. And what he's saying here is sometimes we have a tendency to kind of do things like our old self. We slip back into those old habits. We talk like we used to. We act like we used to. And what Paul's trying to say here is, look, don't, don't go back to that old self, that old way of doing things. God's changed you. God's done something powerful in you. Don't get comfortable in your savedness, right? And kind of slip back into old habits. And so this applies to all different areas of our lives. But as we're going to see here in the next several verses, it's all about our speech and the way that we treat other people. So he says in the next part, verse 25, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. So don't use your speech to lie about someone. You know, it might get you ahead for a while at work. It might, you know, do something, get you out of trouble kids with your parents. But, but that's what the old self does. The new self builds up. The new self uses this tongue that God's given us to bring life. And then he goes on, and we're going to really take this part apart here and try and figure this out, all right? And in verse 26, is so powerful. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. This is so powerful. Um, when Kelly and I do premarital counseling, we always talk about this. We always harp on this idea. Because, listen... The reason some of us use our words to bring death is because we're so angry. And the reason we got so angry is because we gave the devil a foothold in our lives when we first got angry. So let me just unpack this for you a little bit. Here's what happened. You got angry at your spouse, your kids, your coworker, coworker, your boss, your friend at school, your neighbor. And instead of dealing with it in the right way, which we're going to talk about what that is in just a few minutes, instead of dealing with it in the right way, you went to bed. Went to bed angry, and you didn't sleep all that night, right? Because you're angry. We never sleep while we're angry. And so we got more angry, and we woke up the next day, and when we saw that spouse, friend, neighbor, coworker, we were that much more angry. And, and we gave the devil a foothold. We gave him a, a, a next step in our life, a place to put his foot and get a strong hold, a, a place he could stand. And when you and I give him that space, he starts to pour in a little bit of resentment, a little bit of ang- more anger, a little bit more unforgiveness, and then that can spread to a little bit of gossip. And so when you and I, you know, we stay angry and we don't deal with it in the right way, it's only going to turn to poison. It's only going to get worse. Remember when you were a kid and you'd be in the pool and your dad was in there with you, you know, or a friend or a neighbor, somebody that was real big, you know, and, and remember that they would put their, foot, their, their hand like this and let you put their foot on their hand, remember that? And if, it was even better if there were two guys, like two big dudes in the pool, like your, your dad and your uncle or something, and they both put their hand like this and you got to put one foot on each and then they would like catapult you into the sky. You guys remember that, how awesome that was? We still try to do this at my house. I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm a little big for that. But, but um, this past summer, 
we were at, on, vaca- on vacation, and my dad and I were doing this with our kids, especially Landon. The dude was soaring. I mean, my dad's 6'8", so there were, like, airports calling in. We're, we have some unidentified flying objects in your area. Like, I mean, these kids were just flying, but they love that, that and they, they step up on it, and they lean in on us, and, and they feel secure, and, and, and like they have a strong place to stand. And I'll tell you what, when you and I get angry and we don't deal with it in the right way, here's what we're saying to Satan. You want a place to stand? You need a hoist into my life? Pour in some bitterness and some anger and some revenge, some jealousy. And so the reason some of us respond the way that we do, I mean, you ever think about that, <laughs> right? Just, just sometimes something comes out of you so quick, you're like, why did that come out of me though? Well, it's because of anger. Well, why is that anger even there? Well, maybe we've got to start tracing it back to all those times we've gone to bed angry and we've dealt with things in the wrong way and in that moment, man, we just respond in emotion. And so some of the reasons, some of us use our words like we do is because of this incredible anger. And so instead of that, we're gonna, again, we're going to talk about how to deal with this in the right way in just a minute. But he goes on in verse 29. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. No unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. I mean, imagine the power of that. Um, some translations use different words, corrupting. Do not let any corrupting words come out of your mouth. So if it's going to corrupt the person that's listening, if it would corrupt the person you're talking about, if I have an issue with somebody and I start to speak and now my corruption in my own heart has spread to my wife, now she's starting to feel corrupt about somebody. You see how the corruption just spreads like, like fruit sitting together? That's corrupt and one jumps to the next. I mean, that's what happens. And so he says, let no corrupting or unwholesome talk come out of yourself. See, the old self would do that, but, but you're the new self now. And it goes on, but only, he says, do this. Let this come out of your mouth. Only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs. Imagine if only things that came out of our mouths would build up other people. It would not tear them down, but would actually build them up, make them better. In fact, he, he makes it a little bit more clear. He says, that it may benefit those who listen. That it would be a good thing for those who listen. That it wouldn't corrupt them or poison them. It wouldn't corrupt or poison somebody else. They would actually build them up. I mean, imagine if that were the grid that you and I look through every time we wanted to talk. Imagine our, how unified our church would be if all we ever did was build each other up, both to our faces and behind each other's backs. Imagine your marriage. If you and your spouse decide, okay, we're going to build each other up. No more unwholesome talk. Imagine your relationship with your kids. Imagine your workplace. Imagine what could happen if you and I decided to take this seriously. And so now you're thinking to yourself, all right, but Doug, all right, does this mean I'm only supposed to like say nice, like cheesy, you know, feel goody little things to people? Like I'm never allowed to bring up anything difficult? Well, no. See, sometimes the the most loving thing you and I could do, sometimes the way to build someone up is to talk about something really difficult, isn't it? But it's the way we do it. Like sometimes the most loving thing I could do or someone could do to me is pull me aside and say, Doug, I gotta tell you, man, I love you, I'm with you, I'm for you, but I see this in your life and I think it could be trouble for you. I see a pride or I, I see an arrogance in you or I see a fear in you, or why'd you talk to your wife that way, or why are you talking to your kids like that? You know, I mean, in a loving way and in a right way, we can still bring up the hard stuff, but is, here's, the, here's the question. Is it the goal to build up or tear down? So you and I, we could bring up the same issue, and we could tear somebody up doing it, or we could build them up doing it. 
talking about the same exact thing. It's all the heart behind it. It's the heart in, in pushing people to be the vet, best version that Jesus wants them to be. And then this gets super challenging here. Verse 30, it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. See, I don't think about that much. Do you think about that much? That when you and I gossip or we tear down or we lose our temper, like I always think about the person that I hurt. But do you think about the Holy Spirit? That's convicting, man. That's challenging. Like, wow, okay, it's not just that I'm hurting someone, but man, I'm grieving the Spirit of God. I just want you to think about how crazy that is because here, here it says the Holy Spirit was put in us to seal us for the day of redemption, right? And so what that means is when you and I put our faith in Jesus, God says, okay, well, since you did that, here's the Holy Spirit, and he's going to be the one that's going to keep you faithful to the end. He's going to be the one that's going to give you all the life you need and watch what he'll do in your life. It's going to be amazing and astounding. But just think about this for a second. When you and I use our words to tear down instead of build up, we're grieving the Spirit that was put in us to enable us to bring life. Like, that's who we're hurting in that moment. Yeah, my wife or my kids or my boss or my coworkers and all them, I'm hurting them. But ultimately, I'm grieving the spirit that God placed in me to enable me to be one that doesn't grieve the spirit of God. Isn't that crazy? And so this is powerful stuff. It goes beyond just those that we hurt. We want to say, all right, man, I want to treat my, my spouse different, my boss, my kids, my coworkers, my team leaders, but... But man, I want to honor the Holy Spirit. I want to honor God because of what he's done for me. And then Paul wraps it all up with this. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. And then he says this, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So much of our anger and the words we speak and the gossip we share has to do but the fact that we hold on to things that we need to let go. We don't forgive, and so we gossip. We don't forgive, and so we slander. We don't forgive, and so we lose it. And it gives us incredible motivation. You're sitting there thinking, yeah, but Doug, the person in my life wronged me. And I gotta come right back and say, yeah, but you and I wronged Christ, and he forgave. He climbed on a cross for you and I, and he gave everything he had for you and I. I mean, if anybody ever had the right to sit around and gossip or trash or, you know, put somebody in their place, it was certainly him against you and I, right? But instead, he set this amazing pattern and said, no, I'm going to love you to the point of giving my life for you. I'm going to forgive and I'm going to bring life, not just here and now, but life eternal for those who believe in me. And so I want to challenge you with a very simple thought, and then I want to talk through some of the nitty-gritty and some of the stuff we get tripped up on. But here, just the most simple thought in the whole world, and I hope you carry it this week. Be a life giver. Be a life giver. Be someone who gives life. Be someone who doesn't tear down. Don't think about your neighbor, your boss, oh, they should hear this message. That's great. But think about you. How can you be a life giver? Is it the gossip? Is it the words you choose that are become daggers? Is it the volume and the attitude at which you speak that tears people down? Is it rooted in unforgiveness? Is it rooted in anger that you went to bed over 10 years ago and you still haven't let it go? Maybe asking the Holy Spirit, God, would you do some analysis of my heart here? You know, I mean, I was just listening to a message recently and, and, and the guy just challenged us to do that, which was so great. It was just, okay, 
God, I come to you and I ask you for help with my anger or my temper or whatever it might be, but, but I've ever really asked you, God, is there like something deeper in here that you need to do some work on? Is there something, Holy Spirit, that you need to examine in my heart that I just am not aware of, that I need to let go of? Somebody I need to forgive. Somebody that I've hung on to this, this anger towards so long that it makes me respond toward people I love that had nothing to even do with the situation in a way that's wrong. So just allowing the Holy Spirit to do that. And so let's talk about some of the stuff you may be thinking right now, some things that might seem a little confusing. Um, is it ever okay then to talk with somebody about what you're going through? You know, I mean, here we are talking about bringing life and not gossiping. And is it ever okay, let's say I have a bad day at work. Is it ever okay for me to come home and talk with my wife about the bad day? Is it okay for you? If you had a hard time with someone in your neighborhood to, to go back and talk with somebody and say, hey, you know, this, this is just what happened. Or do we just like internalize everything and bottle it up till we all freak out, right? Okay, here's what I think the answer is. When you and I, when it's our heart to bring life to the situation, I think it's okay to talk with someone about it. And I'll just give you an example in just a minute. But let me just say this. The first thing we have to do Right? What scripture shows us first is to talk with someone. If we have an offense issue, it's to bring it to the person. And in love, with the desire to bring life to the situation, say, hey, here's what's up, here's what happened, here's how I'm hurt. Maybe I took this wrong, maybe I didn't, but, but I'm just going to bring it to you. And this doesn't mean we have to do this over every little thing, but it's the things we just can't forgive. It's the things we can't let go of. I mean, Scripture tells us if you have an offense, and here you are worshiping this morning, you know what, before you even continue the worshiping and give your offering, man, go and deal with that person and work it out, okay? So that's first. But, but let me just kind of explain what I was talking about with this idea of being able to run it by somebody. And um, my community group helped us all. We, we kind of sat and figured this out. We were going through the book of James a while back, and, and so we posed this question when James talks about how powerful the tongue is. Is it ever okay to talk with your spouse or someone trustworthy about the situation you're going through. And here's what we came up with. The idea was, okay, if I need to come home and run something by my spouse so she can help me go back to work the next day and be loving toward that person, then yes, it's okay. Or if I need to run it by my spouse and in talking things through with her, she helps me see a different perspective I didn't see, and I can go back and be okay with that coworker, then great. Or if she can help me see I was the wrong with, well, that was wrong, please don't do that. But if she can help me see that, which never happens, of course, um, then, then yes, it's, it's right. But here's what's wrong. If my goal is to come home and turn my wife against my enemy, then it's off. Because that's not bringing life to the situation. But if I can come home and we can work it out and she can help me understand and go back and do it again and go back the next day and be able to bring life in, in some, some way, shape, or form, having forgiven, having let it go, or having to maybe talk it through with somebody, then yes, that's good. But let me, can I say this too? I don't think we need to run it by like 25 people, right? I mean, if you need to want to run it by one person that you trust, that's godly, that's going to point you to how Jesus would respond, then great. But I'll tell you what, if you're trying to run it by any more than one person, you're probably trying to get allies against your enemy. And so, man, just imagine the power of doing things God's way here within the church. That when you and I, we have an offense, and if we can't just deal with it in our own heart and push it away and continue to love the person within the church, we go to them. We say, look, I don't want this between us. Let's just deal with this. Do it in a loving way, a desire to build one another up. I'll tell you what. One of the most powerful tools that God's given us to become more like Jesus is the church. 
And it's to stay in the church, even when you get offended and when you hurt. If you and I, if we bounce from church to church every time we get offended, we're never going to change. We're never going to let God do this work in our hearts that we need him so desperately to do. Part of the reason you're in a church with other imperfect people is so that you and I become more and more like Jesus. And so we've got to stop running every time we get offended and we get hurt. We've got to deal with it the way that God desires us to deal with it. And so, man, would you be a life giver? Would you enter this relationship with your, your spouse in a new way? Only what builds up. Guys, are we going to get this perfectly? Are we never, ever again going to say something hurtful for the rest of our lives? Are we, of course not. We're going to stumble. We're going to fall. And there needs to be mercy and grace when that does. And there is mercy and grace, obviously, from God. But between you and your spouse, we're not going to get this 100%. But, man, things could sure change a lot, couldn't they? Your relationship with your kids. I mean, I'll be honest. There are times I just react. I'm tired. Long day. Everyone's screaming at the same time. And my voice goes higher than it should. Just aiming in a new way. No, no, bring life, man. My kids are, my wife and my kids are just these amazing, most incredible gifts God's given me. I don't want them in 20 years to remember a dad who was just always cranky and screaming, right? And so, no, no, bring life to them. I'm impacting their future right now. They will be a certain way when they're older, depending on how my wife and I treat them now. And so this is so important. We could bring life. We could point them to Jesus. They could grow up knowing, man, mom and dad, they weren't perfect. Man, they loved Jesus and they loved us. And that's so powerful. What if we entered our workplace with this heart to, to bring life to it, to bring life? So, when, man, this, this, this may mean some uncomfortable situations, but, but, man, let's do it God's way. Let's do it God's way. And so somebody brings up somebody and they bring up the boss again and they... You know, bro, I don't want to talk about this. My, my wife's a great example of this. There's been times where certain people have tried to bring up different things to her, and, and she just, I mean, very humbly and in her Kelly way, just goes, you know what, I, I really don't feel comfortable talking about that. And that's the right way to handle it. That's the godly way to handle it. And that's, isn't that what you want your friends to do for you? I mean, the last thing any of us wants is to, is to leave the room and wonder what they're going to say when we do, right? I want a friend group who has my back. I want a friend group that brings life. And I think you do too. And so will you be a life giver? If you're on a team here at the church, would you bring life to your team? Would you bring encouragement? Would you not gossip about your team leader? I don't, I don't know of a certain example that this is happening. I'm not saying this. I'm trying to preach to somebody and some stealth message from the stage here, okay? Um, but man, let's honor our team leaders. They're imperfect, just like you, right? Just like me. And so if you have a problem with them, talk to them. What a unified church we would have. How amazing that would be. In your own heart, not allowing offense to take you to bed angry so you can give the devil a foothold. Be a life giver. Be a life giver. Your, your church needs that. Your marriage needs that. Your kids need that. Your parents need that. Your job needs that. Your community group needs that. What amazing, amazing things could happen. Um, under your seats, I want you guys to reach under and grab this little lifesaver, individually wrapped. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to carry this around for the next week or as long as it takes for it to not disintegrate. And... Uh, keep, it, keep it wrapped. Do not eat it. And here's what I want you to think of, okay? As you guys walk around for the next week, I mean, this is nice and crinkly, so it's going to make a lot of noise in your pocket. It's going to be great because it's going to remind you a lot. I want you to carry it around. And every time you hear it or you feel it, I want you to just think about this idea that when you're a life giver, a life giver you are saving your marriage. You are saving the future of your kids. You are saving the environment at your workplace. And I want you to think about it this way, too. 
You know, like when you and I walk out of like a nice Italian restaurant and we had a great meal and our mouth could sm- kill a small nation. You know what I mean? Like our breath could just destroy, right? And we pop these things in to cleanse our mouths. Anytime you just, you know, again, you feel it, you hear it. Would you just, God, just cleanse my mouth. Just cleanse the things that come out. Cleanse my attitude. Maybe take it deeper, God. Cleanse my heart. Do things deep within me. And would you just let that become a habit? Just carry this around for the next seven days. Let it become a habit. Let it be a reminder. And if you're in like a meeting or something and you need to break off a little piece and eat it, that's okay, you know, if it's going to save your job, right? But ultimately, man, there's so much power in being this life giver. So would you aim at it? Would you aim at it? You're not going to get it perfectly, but I promise you this. Though it may not be an easy role, though it may not be like you walk home today and you walk in the new life giver guy and you, you know, projecting this life to everyone and you're received like, what is wrong with you, you know? It may take some time, but I promise you this. If you fight to be a life giver within your marriage or your children, your relationship with your children or your boss or your church, man, stuff's going to change. Things are going to transform and it's going to be a result that you will want. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I just want you to focus on like a little 45 second part of the message that I brought up. I brought up the fact that when you and I had wronged Jesus, instead of bash us and put us in our place and punish us, he climbed up on a cross for us. And I want you to know today the amazing love of Jesus. And so no twisting of arms here, but if you came in today, you feel like God's doing something in your life, and you're going, man, I didn't think this church stuff was going to do anything for me. I can't believe I'm even thinking this right now. But man, something in me wants to know this Jesus. Then I would encourage you to just pray a prayer with me in just a second. And as we go to prayer, Christians, I want you to really allow the Holy Spirit to examine your heart. Please don't let this be like it's been in the past, where we hear the message, we let it bounce off our ears, we think everybody else that gets it wrong. And we go on our merry way. Please let the Holy Spirit do something in you. Let's pray. God, help us be life givers. We know our church needs it. We know our marriages and our kids and our jobs and our neighborhoods, our community groups, our teams here. They all need this. So God, please help us, God. We're imperfect. We know we're not going to get it right every time. We're going to stumble and fall sometimes. But God, how much we want to get this right. We want to be on blessable roads, God. I know on Jesus' heart when he prayed was the unity of his church. And we know that this is a huge part of it. And so, God, I just I plead with you right now, God, that you, by the Holy Spirit, would make us a church that is life-giving. Help us, God. If you're a follower of Jesus, would you pray about those environments that you tend to struggle in this with? might be your marriage, might be here at the church, might be at work, whatever it might be. But ask the Holy Spirit to examine your heart. And I really encourage you, if you tend to fly off the handle and turns into a tirade when you get angry, would you ask the Holy Spirit, do some serious work in your heart and examine your heart and show you why. Why is that happening? Who have I not forgiven? What have I not let go? And if you're not a follower of Jesus, And Jesus' incredible sacrifice on the cross and his um, heart to take your place there when all you and I deserved was his anger and his punishment. If if in any way that's attractive to you today and you want to put your trust in him, then I encourage you to pray something like this just silently between you and God. Jesus, thank you for getting on the cross when all I deserved was your anger. When I was the sinner and you were the perfect one, you took my place. Thank you for this gift of salvation. I know it's not about my works, but it's about what you did on the cross. 
Help me to see how real you are, God. I thank you for this gift of salvation. Now, God, would you help me be a life giver? In your name I pray, amen.